We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on rotogrinders.com. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, a.k.a. Blender HD, a.k.a. hopefully on top of you on the GPP leaderboards this Sunday. It didn't happen this past Sunday, but that's that's kind of normal. You, you hit once a year, and, and you're pretty good with it. If you didn't have Darren Waller in the tight end slot, uh, you pretty much couldn't win anything. So uh, I'm joined by the man behind the model at Advanced Sports Analytics. It's Stuart Gibson. Uh, did you have Darren Waller in your tight end slot in some of your lineups? Yeah, I had, a, I think, a good bit of Darren Waller. I had a abysmal cash day, but got bailed out by, uh, you know, a decent tournament lineup. Um, could have been a lot better. Kind of the, the two guys holding me down were Gaskin and Aguilar, and both definitely had you know, their shots. Uh, I felt like Aguilar had, I think two good chances at a touchdown and Gaskin had many chances at a touchdown and uh, you know, that, that didn't go so well, but, um, but, yeah, it highlights, not... but, it, but it highlights like the Waller thing. We think in terms of tight end and, and DST, I think we consider those two positions to be the highest variance positions, but a lot yeah. of times on slates, that those positions don't matter. Like there's not one outlier in tight end and DST, but when there is one, the opportunity cost at that position is ridiculously high. So yeah. because there's only one of them, I think we don't talk enough about positional scarcity necessarily on this show. I mean, it uh, has nothing to do with correlation, but just uh, from a GPP strategy perspective, that uh, since you're most likely only rostering one tight end, and you can only roster one DST that on many weeks, while the scoring of that position could be flatter, right? We get a tight end that no tight end scores more than 17 points. No defense scores more than 14 points. The difference between having eight in that slot versus having 10 in that slot may make, I mean, at the very high end may make the difference between coming in first and coming in seventh. But in a general note, it's not a score that you need to have. But mm -hmm. it's those are the positions where it's very unlikely that there are multiple players. So when you have a Darren Waller scoring 48 points, it's less likely that there's a player that comes anywhere close to it, right? You typically get in DST, 
one defense scores 26 and the next scoring defense is 12. You don't get like multiple scoring 22 to 26 point defenses or multiple 30 plus uh, tight ends that in the wide receiver position, which you could roster three of them plus one in your flex that let's say there are multiple 40 plus point wide receivers, especially those high end guys that the Adams, the Thomases, the Keenan Allens that obviously mm-hmm. due to the salary, it's unlikely that many people have like all of them in their lineup, right? You'll see and go, well, if you don't, if you don't have Devontae Adams 40, like you're dead. Well, if he's the only 40 plus point scoring wide receiver, then that, that could be true. Obviously they would need to be owned somewhat, but if there are, if you have multiple 40 plus point scores, like you'll see the winning lineup. You don't need all of them. You, you may need two of them, but you wouldn't need three or four of them only because uh, it's, it's hard to roster all those guys in the same lineup. But when it comes to tight end and defense, like if you do not have the good, you know, Mike, Mike Gazicki scored 23 points. Like the difference between him and Darren Waller was 25 points that you, you in a large field tourney, you're pretty much, you're pretty much dead at that point because you can't, you have to fill a tight end slot. And there's one guy that has double the points of anyone else. So with that in mind, I mean, does that factor into the kind of diversity of your exposure at those positions? I know like at DST, I I take a pretty diverse approach where I'm, you know, capping exposure at like 20% per defense. But I think really for me, that comes more from just that there's difficult projectability with defense. I mean, at tight end where there is such an importance on giving yourself the opportunity to get that one guy, uh, you know, if there's going to be one or, you know, giving yourself the opportunity to get one of two guys, do you find yourself like spreading exposure fairly thin at some of these, uh, I guess, positions where, where, you know, there is potentially one premium guy that, that is going to make the difference or, do you find yourself, I guess, taking tight exposures and, and kind of trusting your ability to get that one guy, uh, knowing that if you do get him by having such high exposure to him, you're just at such you know a high advantage? I think I think from tight end to defense, it's a much different story. Defense yeah. is like you can't predict who that thirty point scoring Patriots is going to be on a slate. So yes, mm-hmm. I I I don't take stands. I actually probably take less than you do. Like I typically cap it like 10, 12% and I'm taking a ton, a hundred lineups. I may, I, I, I have all the defenses in my pool. So whatever fits, fits, but at tight end, I almost every slate, I mean, you could do this for any position, but uh, it, it's especially for the tight end is that if Travis Kelsey's on the slate, I, I'm playing, tra- there's, I'm not, I'm never Xing out players like that because there are very few people at that position that could put up a score that you need to have. Travis Kelsey could put up 30 points, some random tight end that may be 2% owned that puts up 30 points on a weird three touchdown game. I don't have to worry about as much because they're not owned as much, but when Kelsey's on a slate, when Waller's on a slate, when Kittle, when he's healthy is on a slate, like it doesn't, to me, the matchup doesn't even matter at that point. Like these are players that have 30 plus point ceilings that, Maybe I don't have a ton of them, Maybe, but I'm going to make some lineups that have a premium tight end. Same thing for running back. We, we see with guys like Derrick Henry. 
right? You take a look at Derrick Henry and the floor is suspect because of his lack of involvement in the passing game. But Derrick Henry on any slate in any matchup could put up 45 fantasy points because he breaks off some 80 yard run. He gets four rushing touchdowns or something like that, that especially when they're lower owned, like they're not going to be unowned, but when they're at least lower owned, like I'm going to make some Derrick Henry lineups. I'm going to make some Dalvin cook lineups. I'm going to make that. I take a look. I'm, I'm going to make that Devonte Adams lineups. I'm going to make DK Metcalf lineups. I'm going to take a look at, at the guys that like have the most chance of putting up a score that you will need to have. Like it will be a the Tyreek Hill. I always get exposure to Tyreek Hill. Doesn't the Chiefs are good, and he can put up a score that is you you dust the field completely in it. Do I base my entire strategy around it? No, there there may be one offs. It's not necessarily a stack, but I think it's very important in large field GPPs especially that. When you take a look at guys in the five or six K range where it's like, oh, they give me 25 points. Like this is going to be good for GPPs, but they may not have like the ultimate seal. These, these true top ceilings that I need to prioritize making some lineups. Obviously it depends on how many you're making, but if I'm making a hundred lineups, like I'm going to have at least I'm going to have a Derrick Henry lineup. I'm going to have a, a, a Tyreek Hill line. I mean, like it, I'm hoping obviously that, you know, if he puts up 60 points, that that's the right combination in that lineup, but I'm not going to X out players that have like immense ceilings for the positions that they're at, where if I, if I'm watching red zone and the guy, you know, when Tyreek Hill has 200 yards where I'm just closing my laptop, it's more of the fact of, well, let me see the four lineups I have him in. Cause at least I got, I, I got him in something rather yeah. than, like this past week, so many people were going down at tight end. They're like, tight end sucks. So go down to Ferkser. Go down to Aikens. Take a, take a, a, a Robert Tanyan or something. And and no one wanted to pay up for Waller based on the lineup construction, the, the popular lineup construction. And I didn't have a ton of Waller, but I still had, I still had about 10, 12%. I made some Waller teams. Of course, they were with Frank Gore. So they, they got killed <laughs> because Frank Gore yeah. got knocked out second play of the game. But I'm I'm never looking at these guys that regardless of matchup, you, you can tell me all you want, oh bad matchup, low implied team total. Like they're at a position. They have they have such a wide range of outcomes. They have such a high standard deviation that I don't want to leave myself, especially when I'm making a hundred plus lineups, like leaving myself with the, you know, my hand in the garbage if they it, I mean, I don't want to have to close my laptop at, at four o'clock and and say, well. Well, uh, why why didn't I play any Tyreek Hill? Why didn't I play any Travis Kelsey in the tight end spot? But Travis Kelsey is seventy four hundred. Yeah, but he could put up thirty five points, and then the next tight end could put up twelve. So yeah, so I'm I'm gonna have to prioritize these types of players at least in some lineups. Well, it's an interesting week relative to last one where you know you did have Waller and there was no Kelsey on the main slate. Um, you know he he kind of clearly stood head and shoulders above the rest of the field as far as like you know possible ceiling this week you know we do have kelsey back we still have waller and there's still a number of uh compelling tight ends who maybe don't have like the 30 ceiling that kelsey and waller have but still have you know nice 20 point ceilings where uh you know it may be a little less predictable as far as kind of what uh you know who who is going to lead the uh lead that position uh, in scoring well on this slate since uh, all the bye weeks are done 
Uh, although with COVID, anything could turn into a bye week for some team. Or they're going to play on Wednesday. Or they're going to play. They're going to play in the middle. Uh, they're going to play in the. They're going to find some place in the middle of a parking lot and play on a Tuesday afternoon somewhere. Uh, but we have 13 games on this uh, Sunday slate, and it's a pretty even split: seven early, six late, and we have a bunch of high total games. So I mean, the spread between the highest total. And the lowest total is about 13, 13 and a half points currently, which is like um, two touchdowns. So we have games to target. Uh, but obviously with the larger slate and the multiple high team totals, the for large field GPPs, you have to prioritize to me like that, that I guess, and, unless it's select circumstances, that single stacks are going to rule the day. Because, like, you, in 13 games, there's going to be outliers in multiple of these games that you're most likely going to have have to have that one-off piece. So I'm not necessarily, just from a holistic standpoint, when we go through game by game, that I'm I'm less likely to double stack. I mean, I'll still bring back, you know, I still do a skinny stack, 1-1 one, one with the one bring back. But even if you don't want to bring back players, like, I think that's perfectly fine. I'm going to look for lineups, and I'm going to run through lineup HQ and and see see what pops up. But I'm telling you right now, like, I'm not prioritizing double stacks in large field GPPs. And especially, we're going to get into some of these games where I think that the best case is the skinny stack to begin with. Yeah, it does seem like some of the teams that are bubbling to the top uh, as far as totals are... Yeah, teams that you just wouldn't want to double stack to begin with. Um, maybe more willing to double stack if you're going to kind of throw together a few vomit stacks. But yeah, most of the teams towards the top are, are ones we probably want to pick one uh, pass catcher to pair with the QB uh, anyways. So, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. The, the notion of kind of when to lean in heavily on double stacks and when to kind of pull back uh, as you have these uh, two extra games, I guess, on the main slate. Uh, yeah, it's just two more games in which some one-off piece can hit, you know, a massive ceiling that uh, even if you kind of nail the double stack and get that second uh, pass catcher right, there's just, you know, two extra games, four other teams that kind of that second pass catcher has to compete against and you just lower your chances of uh, hitting the optimal with two guys from the same team, two pass catchers from the same team, that is. Right, and you could always experiment. I mean, a good way to, to determine this is by using a tool like Lineup HQ and using projections. So if you want to uh, uh, sign up for that, Core 4 Premium, $5 off. Click the link in the YouTube description or in the podcast description, rotogrinders.com slash media slash ASA. You get $5 off Core 4 NFL. NBA is coming back two weeks. Right, We got preseason stuff. I believe we have some premium preseason stuff for NBA. Uh, at PGA, uh, MLB when it comes back. So, so sign up for that, but you could use lineup HQ. And a lot of times I use my stack settings and I just put default, you know, everything's default, but I'll just put like a one plus one. I'll put a two plus one. I'll put a three plus one and set them all for a hundred percent. So basically I'm telling lineup HQ, I want some type of correlation, some type of, you know, the, you know, two plus zero, one plus one, some, something like that. And then based on the median projections, like, give me the top 300 lineups. And in those 300 lineups, I want to see what teams, I want to see what type, is there a worth, worthy bring back on these certain games? 
Is there not ones? If I'm, am, am I getting a ton of, you know, Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett and then no one else? And I'm like, okay. And then I could take a look at the configurations of the top 300 and say, see how many are three plus ones? How many are two plus ones? And you could obviously even go granular into that and go, well, I'm going to set up my stack settings just for three plus ones. And then you run 300 and you see what the top median is. And you see what that range, what teams encompass that range. Because you may have just like one three plus one stack that's like, that that stack's fine based on median projections. But like none of the, none of the other ones are. Like, you, yes, Mike the Glennon vomit stacks, like, okay, they're, you could make them, but you're sacrificing like 12 points in median in order to make those stacks compared to a Matt Ryan, expensive Matt Ryan stack that has a higher median and a lower ownership. So like these are things that you can do just mathematically with your projections, with RG projections, with the blitz projections, whichever projection set you have and just use lineup HQ. Even if you're not making a hundred lineups, even if you're just making single entry three max type of lineups, you're hand building, but use it as a research tool of let, because the optimizer is just solving a knapsack problem. So, and you, you just put in the, the all the correlation and all the leverage. Let's say I want a ton of Derrick Henry. I don't want this much of this. What, what are the best lineups that have this? And it incorporates, if you're a premium member, the ownership. So you could you, you could see what the ownership sum of a lineup is and what the median of a lineup is. So you don't necessarily have to target like, oh, I have to think through game by game. It's like you could just use the math and end up seeing like, oh, the Tampa Bay stacks turned out, I mean, I don't know what this is. I haven't run this yet, but you may find a stack that is lower owned that has, that you could build high median lineups with that maybe, maybe, maybe you wouldn't have realized beforehand if you just looked at like the game in a vacuum. Yeah. And I mean, I think that those optimizer runs are super useful, even if you are kind of hand building for single or triple entry where, you know, you want to build a lineup or a set of lineups, small set of lineups that are kind of centered around a group of rules. And then you can just run it through and kind of see like, all right, what are the, you know, even if I'm only pulling three lineups, like what are the top 50 lineups? What features do they tend to incorporate most frequently? And with that, I think you have a good sense of, uh, I think that is like, it's a very, I find myself using that a lot, using an optimizer iteratively to put together uh, you know, single entry or three max, uh, type lineups. Uh, so yeah, I think that's good, good resource potentially use. Okay. So let's go through the, the top total games of the week. Number one on the docket, it's Packers at Lions in the dome, which means if you have the blitz, that means that Devonte Adams projection is through the roof. Uh, it's a 55.5 implied total. It's up one point since open. The Packers are a seven and a half point favorite. They have a 31.5 implied team total. The Lions, pretty healthy 24 point implied team total. I mean, to me, the stack makes the most sense. Rodgers, Adams, you're done. Maybe you throw in a Tanyan in the tight end spot if you want to, you know, you want to double stack, at least double stack, you know, with the tight end, which may have a, may end up with a more flatter uh, results and outcomes between the tight ends. Uh, and then the Lions, I mean, you with Galladay out, uh, I'm assuming he'll still be out. You still got Marvin Jones there. You still got Hawkinson. You got, uh, you know, guys like Sanu, I guess, or Cephas. 
Uh, to me, this is the most obvious stacking opportunity because Adams is going to be, I mean, he's probably going to be chalk even at 9,300. Uh, Rogers is going to be like, he's currently projected on as of Thursday on J- in Jamino's hamster wheel to be the second highest owned quarterback. On the other hand, the lions are virtually unowned. So, uh, I'm assuming, uh, Stuart, that the Packers are coming up at the top or at least towards the top in the, the, the top team probability. But do you think that a better route in large field would be to attack this game from the other side with a Stafford stack and use Adams as the run back just to be different. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously I think Rogers, Devante, Marvin Jones is, you know, a, a perfectly good stack. Uh, but it's just, I mean, how many lineups do you think are going to have Rogers, Jones, Adams? I mean, it's well, Jones Rogers. is coming in currently. I mean, Jones understand that Marvin Jones is priced up. He's now 5,800. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, you're going to get the narrative, right? You're going to get Jair Alexander. Are you scared? Are you scared of the wide receiver cornerback matchup? Uh, I think maybe, I mean, even Hawkinson, we don't have as much ownership. We really don't have that much ownership on the Lions. I would think that sharper players will play a Lions bring back in a Rodgers Adams stack, but it may not be as much as we think. Really? So, okay. So I'm I'm just going by this ownership. I mean, if the, we see the, if value opens we, up and you know ownership switches around, uh, but yeah, but I would I would have the same assumption as you, Stewart, that like this seems too yeah. obvious. Why don't I attack it as Stafford, Jones, Hawkinson, Adams, like a three plus one that way? But I mean, I can't argue with the, if I mean we have Marvin Jones currently as less than one percent owned. I yeah, but I think you you guys I don't have think uh, that's Galladay. Yeah, I think Galladay is at least. I'm I'm looking at like the core four projections and I see Galladay, I think, as in. Um Okay, so oh so our ownership projects Galladay in, but I'm looking at blitz projections. Okay, got it. So there's that, sorry, that, that, like the player projections I'm looking at are him out. Got so it, got it. Martin so they're kind of split. Pops. Yeah. But our our RG ownership projections assumes that Galladay is in. Okay. Yeah. I mean yeah, I Regardless, I mean, it just to me just seems like such an obvious stack. I have a hard time believing that anyone that's stacking up Rodgers and Adams isn't going to be bringing back a Lion. Uh, Jones, I think, is the most obvious choice. Hawkinson could warner some uh, inclusion. I mean, I think like it, it's it's a great total game in a really good environment. Um, I I might be inclined just to not to leave Rodgers out and just go. Uh, like Adams loose or just, you know, we've talked about in previous weeks, like insist on having one uh, Viking, you know, whether it be cook or at least one Viking, uh, even if you don't have cousins, whether it be cook, uh, Thielen Jefferson. I mean, I like the rule of just having one uh, Packer with no Rogers uh, and give yourself a decent opportunity to get some Aaron Jones uh, ownership, but, you know, leave it to like exactly one Packer, you know, have, lineups where you build stacks through different games uh but just have one of adams or jones because i mean yeah i mean i think like adams is in a great spot uh I don't, you know i don't think my disinterest in stacking this game up comes from the uh players and their projection i think it likely is just going to be an ownership thing uh you know i still want exposure to adams but maybe 
try to be different with the QB and kind of core stack you build through, or leave yourself the option to, you know, just play Aaron Jones as like a one-off with some sort of, uh, you know, sec maybe a secondary uh, stack with like Aaron Jones plus Marvin Jones or, um, I don't know, you know, Aaron Jones plus Amendola or Cephas or Hawkinson or something like that. Um, I think to me that would be the route I would want to take. Uh, I know we saw last week Jones and Adams kind of get there on that last, uh, that late big touchdown by Jones, but historically they've had negative correlation. And in fact, I was just kind of looking at the scatter plot. Uh, and, you know, this, this Detroit team last year was the one that seeded that big, like three touchdown game to Jones last year. I mean, that was a perfect example of kind of one of these games where, uh, you know, Jones, I think, put up like 48 fantasy points and Adams only had, I think, like 10 points or something like that. So I think more times than not, if Adams is going to have a great game, Jones is likely to fail. But if Adams fails, it gives Jones an elevated likelihood of having a great game. So um, I think for me, rather than trying to stack this game up, I might be more inclined to just take individual pieces um, and definitely see Jones as a decent leverage you know, point off of Adams. Uh, it's kind of a one-off. As a a, a a contrarian way, do you think there's a possibility? What's the probability? Obviously, there's a possibility. Anything's a possibility of stacking Rogers with Lazard. Okay, so now you're playing a guy that's going to be like four percent owned. He's five thousand. Is there an instance in which Rogers gets there? And Liz, like to me, I view of Adam's salary at ninety three hundred to be touchdown dependent. Obviously, yeah. he gets so many red zone targets. I mean, we see that they pass on the one yard line to him. But let's say there is an instance where Adams gets a hundred yards. Adams doesn't have a bad game, but he only has twenty six fantasy points. Like he, like he doesn't have a score for ninety three hundred. That do you need to have it? Like it'd be great to have it, but he doesn't need to have it. So let's say he go, let's say he goes uh 12 for 100, right? Which ends up being like 20 26 for 25 26 points. But Alan Lazard goes like 6 for 90 with two touchdowns. Right? So like for his salary, he's getting the two touchdowns. Rodgers obviously has the touchdowns. And now you have the highest total team on the slate. You have the guys that you need from that team. And most people aren't going to have that combination. Uh, do you think? Do you see that? Do you think that there's enough equity, correlatively wise, that where Rogers and Lazard have ceiling outcomes when Adams doesn't? But Adams doesn't have a the whole. The point that I'm making is that right. Adams is not sitting there with ten points because yeah. Adams only has ten points. Rogers has a snowflake. Like most of the yardage for Rogers is going to have to come through Adams anyway. But if the touchdowns just go through, Rogers throws four touchdowns, but like two or three go to other people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a question of like tournament size, right? Like I think you could stomach kind of a 20, 25 from Adams, 25 for Lazard, and like 35 from Rogers in a small field, you know, 300, 500 person tournament. But as you kind of grow in tournament size, uh, all of a sudden that, you know, 50 combined from Adams and Lazard, while, you know, both have fine games. And obviously that's a great game for Lazard. Uh, you know, it's just not going to be enough to get there as you're playing a large field uh, tournament, especially but, with this uh, but large. But the Lazard start. piece at 5,000 could be a winning piece. 
For sure, yeah, but you would want to have Lazard only. Right, plus that's, Rogers, that's, that's right. exactly Not, what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. Right. I'm talking yeah, about so, being Rodgers-Lazard because right. no one got, like the, the likelihood of that combination is much lower because people have Adams. And Adams, the Adams right. people get there. They get a, they get a enough of a score, but not a have to have it score. Yeah, no, I think that's like a really good play for you know a big field tournament. Um, as you kind of get smaller, the I think the value of that double increases, you know, a little bit relatively. But um, yeah, I mean the the combined ceiling historically between Lazard and Rogers, like the maximum points they've achieved together, is only six uh, sixty two point eight. So. I don't know what figure that's about 4x their combined salary. So, um, you know, if, if that is split evenly down the middle, you know, that that pays off well for Lazard, not so much for Adams. Um, so, yeah, I think an interesting route uh, for sure. Okay, next game on the docket. We got the Titans at the Jaguars. The total is 52 and a half. It's down one point since open. Titans are a seven and a half point favorite. They have a 30 implied team total. Jaguars, 22 and a half. Uh, the thing about the Titans is that uh, it's a matter of how they get there. Because, I mean, we take a look and go, well, Derrick Henry could just, you know, it's the Jaguars defense. They're not very good. Uh, Henry could Henry could have 150 yards and three touchdowns. And well, the stack doesn't get there. Henry gets there. But if the stack gets there, the, the Tannehill is cheap enough. I mean, 6,700. You have Tannehill. Corey Davis, they haven't, he's getting more targets than AJ Brown. So like Corey Davis is 5,700, AJ Brown, 7,300. Uh, we have James Robinson on the other side, which is not a traditional type of run back for an underdog, but James Robinson seems to get there every week. So yeah, he's been, he's been good in that spot in the past uh, couple weeks. So, um, right. But we also have Chark. We have some cheap receivers, uh, based on our ownership currently, uh, Henry is going to be fairly popular. Uh, do you think that, especially on a slate, I I don't think running back on this slate is all that appealing. I think that's one of the main reasons why Henry is going to be more owned because there's not as much value running back. There's not like there's not there's, the people that that come up that come up in projections. Well, are people that you look at their name and go really. Like, I'm going to roster that guy. So I think people will stay away. I think there's incredible leverage on playing the passing game. If they, if they, if they have a 30 implied total and the Titans defense is, I mean, they the Titans get into more shootouts than anyone else, it seems like, in the NFL. Are, are, people, are we just missing the fact that, like, A.J. Brown at 7%, Corey Davis at 9%, Chark at 5%, that even even if you wanted to play the game from the opposite side and play Glennon and then run it back with a Henry Davis Brown type of thing, it just seems like the other than the running backs, the ownership of this game is much lower than you would expect for a fifty-two and a half total. Yeah, I think so. Um, my kind of uh, the caveat, like I put, is I think it is a tough game particularly to double double stack up with like Brown plus Davis. They historically haven't had great correlation and their combined ceiling, um, you know, hasn't been exceptional. Um, so I think, you know, if stacking the passing side, it probably is going to make sense to, I think it's also just an interesting exercise of kind of like how strong is recency, but how strong is recency bias, you know, uh, like Brown had this dud of a game and Davis put up a big game and, uh, 
you know, if ownership is going to shift towards uh, Corey Davis in a big way, I think it, you know, even though he hasn't, uh, you know, seen a ton of volume, like we've seen just highly efficient games from AJ Brown in the past. Um, and for a tournament play, uh, you know, I think there could be some equity in just building through like a, you know, one to two long uh, AJ Brown touchdowns with Tannehill. Um, if you want to go on the Corey Davis side, I think uh, if Johnny Smith is out again, you know, there could be some route to doing like a Davis plus uh, Ferkser again. Um, don't, don't talk about Ferkser. Ferkser, he barely played the first half. We all got bailed out on Ferkser on the last drive. Yeah, I mean, in games that John has missed, uh, last week, you know, was not uh, one where he's had a huge, he, did, he didn't have a huge role until the very end. But in previous games that John has missed, I mean, he's been, you know, at times a spiky receiver where he gets, uh, you know, good usage. I mean, there's a concerning trend in that they've been using Jeff Swain actually more, not as a pass catcher, but just he's been on the field more than Ferkser. Um, I just you know, wanted I to know. say the caveat to Ferkser because – they raised his price eleven hundred, so it's not like he's minimum price anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so then maybe the route is like Brown, Brown plus Tannehill. Uh, I, I'm just really not interested in doing Brown plus Davis. Uh, I think with kind of the price hike on Davis and just the uh, slight negative correlation they've historically had, it, uh, it is a tough kind of pair to to stomach. Um, well, like I said earlier on earlier in the show, I think this is a slate with the, with this many games and many high totals that even in large field GPPs, like you, sh- I'm going to be single stacking most likely anyway. I'm not going to be playing Brown plus Davis. I'm going to be pairing one of them with Tannehill. And in mm-hmm. sm- yes, in smaller field, then we could start talking about you know if you're playing a thousand entries or less, then okay, now 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 we could you know play the the, the super game stacks, those types of things, because so you don't have to get every slot right so to, to me it's not a matter of like yeah i'm not even i'm not viewing i'm near, pretty much not viewing any of these games as you know double stack ability unless it's a tight unless it's something like a tight end where it's like okay i get to fill my tight end spot and they're cheap and who knows if they get a touchdown and 50 yards they're pretty good mm-hmm. so on the the next game on the docket we got the the tampa bay buccaneers at home against the vikings the bucks with a uh, six and a half point favorite, 29 implied team total. Vikings with a 22 and a half implied team total. Uh, as we've we've stated many times on this show, like Brady projects well. I mean, you would have to expect that, that this game is going to feature probably a lot of passing. But the issue is, is that who do you stack Brady with? Because, you know, could be Godwin, could be Brown, could be Evans. Gronkowski could catch a couple of balls. The most appealing part of this game is actually the underdog because the Vikings have a much more condensed offense. So do you think even though the the Vikings have the lower implied total, they only have a 22 and a half total, but if this game turns into a shootout, that the better direction would be on the Vikings side. Like to, to me, it almost feels like it's kind of weird for me to say because I don't play these types of lineups. That Brady naked with Thielen or Jefferson running back and not even having Godwin, Brown, or Evans may actually be viable because Brady, Brady I mean, this game, Brady could throw 350 yards and four touchdowns and have not and 
all None four touchdowns are four different people, and no and no wide receiver has more than 100 yards, and the stack the stack doesn't get there. Even the single stack doesn't get there. But Brady's sitting there with 34 fantasy points. Huh. I hadn't considered that route, but when you describe it, uh, you know, it does does make sense. And I think to the notion of there being kind of more games and uh, number of high totals, it makes that approach, I guess, even more uh, appealing. So I hadn't considered that, but I, I guess it's I, something I see I'm that probably thing. not going to do. I rarely ever make yeah. naked, st- especially naked quarterback stacks where the quarterback's not a rushing quarterback. Yeah, where, right. Like, they can rush in three touchdowns, you know, those types of things. But, like, do I want to get into the business like I did with the Chiefs when they played the Chiefs of, okay, I'm making 100 lineups. I have to set aside 40 of them because I need to pair Brady with this guy and Brady with that guy and Brady with yeah. – and then if I'm doing the Viking side, I have to do the secondary correlations. Okay, I'm pairing Thielen with Godwin, Thielen with Evans, Thielen with – it's like I feel like yeah, I'm right. investing so much money in the game. Right. I mean, as far as the, you know, which side is more appealing to stack from, I mean, if you are picking a Tampa Bay receiver, you kind of feel like you have to do that if you're, I mean, you obviously do that if you're doing the Brady, well, not obviously as you just described, but, you know, you're going to have to do that on either side. I mean, is there any viability to doing the Minnesota passing side and uh, like Ronald Jones on the Buccaneers side? I mean, you know, he doesn't, He's like not the most likely player to score the most points, but you know the you know I would say there's probably like what a 70-30 split that you know a running back scores the most points on the Tampa Bay side of skilled players, 70% chance that a receiver or pass catcher you know including Gronkowski scores the most points on the Tampa Bay side. Well, you know even though it's more likely that a pass catcher leads Tampa Bay in scoring, you know there's three to four pass catchers to choose from. So now you're only talking about like a 20%, you know, at best kind of confidence in any one player, even if there's 30% on running back, you know, I feel pretty good, um, especially in kind of the script where Minnesota is playing catch up from behind that, you know, Ronald, Ronald Jones and Fournette, their role has kind of been dependent on game script. You know, Fournette is used when Tampa Bay is playing uh, from behind Ronald Jones more when they're from playing from ahead. So, uh, you know, I do think, if you're building on the Minnesota side, you're kind of, and, and through the receivers, not so much Dalvin Cook, you know, you're kind of working under the assumption that Minnesota's playing from behind. So um, I don't know, that could could be, you know, a different way to go where, you know, you don't feel like you're burning so many lineups trying to get, like you said, that right combination. You're really just using a lineup to get the right kind of game script and the right outcome you know, you do feel kind of confident that if the game goes where Tampa Bay is up significantly, Minnesota's playing from behind that, you know, Ronald Jones is kind of the likely uh, beneficiary at the running back position. As you described this, it almost makes me feel like I don't want to roster any of them. It feels to me, based on uh, projections, uh, the Vikings reject better than the Bucks. The Vikings are going to be lower owned. We have currently Thielen at 7%, Justin Jefferson at 5%, Dalvin Cook at 7%. Uh, in the case of Tampa Bay putting up 35 points, so we're talking about five touchdowns, uh, it's quite possible that they could score 35 points and none of the players in the game are in a GPP winning lineup. But in the case that 35, the Bucks put up 35 points and the Vikings need to basically, Cousins needs to throw the ball 45 plus times, 
Like, how, they have such a condensed offense. How does Thielen or Jefferson not get there? Like, it almost feels like, like I prioritize the one-off Vikings players in that game script than then the then the Bucks team, even if the Bucks score, if the final score is thirty-five to twenty-one, it almost feels like like the Vikings players are the ones with the higher points because there's only so there's so few of them. Or if I'm going to stack the Bucks so they're throwing more, that it almost makes sense that that's the line that I play Dalvin Cook in. Like I play the opposite game, and now of course people aren't going to play Dalvin Cook because the Buccaneers front seven is so great, right? Matchups and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does catch balls out of the backfield, and it's seven percent ownership. I mean, we've seen fifty-point games out of Dal- out of Dalvin Cook. So to me, I don't know. It just it just feels weird to say in in correlatively, if the Bucks put up a lot of points and the game is close, doesn't that mean that it's more likely that the Vikings players put up ceiling outcomes than than it's quite possible that none of the Buccaneers. Godwin has 80 yards and a touchdown. Evans, 80 yards and a touchdown. Brown, 80 yards and a touchdown. Ronald Jones, 80 yards rushing and a touchdown. Gronkowski, 80 yards and a touchdown. And you look and like everyone has 17 points. And you're like, well, well, that stack didn't get. They scored a ton of points, but the stack didn't get there. You know, maybe maybe Brady has 30 plus, maybe. But then you take a look at your, quote, runbacks. And, you know, Thielen, you know, if Cousins had to throw 45 times, Thielen could have 16 targets. Right, he could have he could thirteen for one fifty and two touchdowns, and Jefferson could have an have a hundred yard game also. Like he could have one where nine for one fifty and a touchdown. And you're looking, it's like, well, the Vikings lost by two touchdowns, yet each of the Vikings players put up significantly more points than any of the Bucks. Yeah, no, it could definitely have my 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 fear with the Viking side is like while a thirty five to twenty eight outcome is you know well within the range. Like, I think also a 35 to 13, 35 to 17 uh, outcome is within the range. Uh, You know, we've been, I think, pretty high on this show on Vikings guys uh, week over week. This is like the lowest total we have seen them in quite some time. Um, You know, but isn't that good? But we've seen them when they're favored. The problem with the Vikings when they're favored is that Dalvin Cook's at high salary and his high touch count ends up kind of sucking away from the passing game and a game script now that is favored for them to pass more. The Vikings tend to, if they could pass 20 times, that limits the upside of Thielen and Jefferson. But if we're predicting a game script like based on the betting lines, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're coming in as six and a half point underdogs that, that all these projections are based around that in pass in the past, are around Cousins throwing 25 times, right? Mm-hmm. So Dalvin Cook projects well, and Thielen and Jefferson project decently because of touchdown equity, right? Because the Vikings have a 30-point total. So it's like, yes, of course, the receiver, yeah. Okay, they're going to be projected well. Here, it seems like, looking at my projections, that the touchdown equity of the Vikings receivers, Thielen, 7,000, Jefferson, 7,400, is lower. But their yardage and reception ceiling is higher because the plays that they're going to have to run are going to be more passing plays. So they, they don't have a, you're not going to see Ola BC Johnson get five targets. You're not going to see Chad Beebe get seven targets. It's like, if they throw 45 times, like how, how yeah, do no, we, them have like 12 to 15 targets? I mean, th- that's who they throw to. Yeah. 
no, no, you're right. I... I'm just thinking it through. I'm just like, it's a low total, but it seems to make sense that if it is a shootout, it's more likely that the Vikings receivers have ceilings more than figuring out what piece of a five-headed monster the Buccaneers get there. Yeah, that, um, yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about a game that's going to make us pull our hair out. Okay, this 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 is the game where you're gonna have to. That, who, <laughs> who knows how you stack this game? Okay, we have the two teams that. Uh, oh God, it's a yeah, fifty-one and a half total, up one point. It's the Colts at the Raiders. Uh, Colts are favored by two and a half. They have a twenty-seven implied team total. The Raiders have a twenty-four and a half implied team total. Uh, the Colts, as always, have seven million people that they give the ball to, and then the Raiders. They have they, they, we don't know if Jacobs is going to be in, but most likely he's not. I think Booker's going to be in, uh, but they, obviously they have Waller. Okay, okay, we we get the tight end, but then you know Aguilar could be could be Renfro, could be Rugs. The Colts have Hilton, they have Pittman, they have Pascal, they have three tight ends, they have three running backs. Uh, it's a fifty-one and a half total, and the Raiders' defense is not very good. The Colts' defense is. Average. I mean, they, they in the beginning of the year they were pretty decent, but they have no problem giving up yardage. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I have to assume that the that the Colts and the Raiders show up as you know some decent percent chance of being the top team on the slate. It's just a matter of like how the hell wow. do you stack this game? Yeah, I mean, I think the the to me the route that seems most obvious is. uh you know, go skinny car plus Waller and then take like Jonathan Taylor or something like that uh, on the other side. Uh, and, you know, with the, with the Las Vegas side, I think there are some opportunities to do like Waller plus Aguilar would still be the guy I would prefer, but, you know, I think uh, Waller plus rugs could make some sense. Uh, I think Brandon, Brandon texted me this week. He said he got like, I think maybe second or third in the million millionaire maker with uh car, Rugs Waller and Paramount uh, put up like three points. He just needed yeah. him to do anything more. Yeah. He would have won a million dollars, like yeah. another six points. He would have been fine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do think, uh, but yeah, sorry. Uh, Car plus Waller, Taylor on the other side to me makes the most sense. Um, I know Taylor put up a pretty good score last week. I'm just trying to look to see if that came through. I know he had a big touchdown catch. Right, like had, his, pretty much it was all on the touch, touchdown. Yeah, catch. so you know, might might be uh, if we're kind of looking at game uh, game logs. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he had a sub ten percent target share, a sub fifty uh, percent rush share. So you know, I don't know. You're you are uh, you are kind of chasing uh, super high efficiency there. Um, well, the ownership yeah, the in this game. I mean, car current ownership. Like that, it's all in the single digit. So I yeah. mean, this, this game could shoot out. The problem is, is that like it could shoot out, and like none of the pieces that matter. Like I mean, it could it could be as as we call in the RG Discord, all troll touchdowns, right? You get yeah. the you get the Mo Ali Cox touchdown, and then Jalen Rashard gets a touchdown, and then Hunter Renfro gets a touchdown. And you're looking around, and it's like you take a look at this game, and like no one. Yeah, the game scores 60-plus points, but there's, like, no one on the game that has more than 20 fantasy points, and it's not going to matter. Yeah, definitely more concerned with that on the Indianapolis side, uh, which is unfortunate because they're the you know, the higher total. Um, but, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so it looks like, I mean, Taylor was the lead back. Um, you know, he's had back-to-back weeks with kind of leading the team in rushes. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me, that that's, I, I don't, it's not a game like I want to, you know, I think like the Tampa Bay-Minnesota game, that is a game where there's more value to kind of taking some, some shots and trying to, to pick it right. And I think it's equally as difficult to pick it right as this game. Like this game, even if you pick it right, I'm just not convinced there's quite as much ceiling there as that, that other game. So um, I don't know. It's not, not a game that I'm too, too interested in. Um, definitely not on the Indianapolis side. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Next game on the docket. It's 49 and a half total. It's one point uh, higher than open. It's the Kansas City Chiefs at the Miami Dolphins. Chiefs are favored by seven and a half. Chiefs have a 28 and a half implied total. Dolphins have a 21. Uh, it's going to be one of those slates where, where the Chiefs don't have one of the top three. They don't even have one of the top four implied totals. But... Obviously, Mahomes, Kel, uh, Hill, Kelsey. I mean, is it one of those types of things where, like, I don't know how they show up in your your top team probability, but they're going to obviously show towards the top. Is it one of those things? Do we think that because of the past, where, like, just stack the Chiefs and win money? I mean, like, is do you think that the Chiefs are going to go overlooked or underlooked on the slate? Because obviously we have Tampa Bay. It's hard to choose. The Titans, people will play Henry and not the passing game. The Packers, yes. Okay, Rodgers and Adams will be chalky. And we're going to get to the Seahawks in a minute. Like, do you yeah. think that do you think that the ceiling on the on the Chiefs is actually lower this week? Because they don't they're they have a 28 and a half point total, but in the in other games they've had 30 plus point totals. So do you think more, especially at these prices now, where Kelsey's 7,400, Tyreek Hill is 8,500, Mahomes is the most expensive quarterback on the slate at 8,100, that that a, a, a Mahomes to Hill or a Mahomes to Kelsey stack is not optimal? Or is it the type of thing that we're just, I'm just overthinking it? I'm just going, who cares? No, the prices just, just stack the Chiefs and there you go. You're done. No, I, I think your thought is right there. I mean, like the price has come up on these guys. The total has come down and you know, you guys have Kelsey projected as the highest owned tight end Mahomes highest owned quarterback and Hill as you know, the fourth highest owned receiver. Like I think we like Kansas city when they check, you know, at least one box of, you know, they're not going to be the, one of the more popular stacks or they're just far and away kind of the highest total on the slate or, you know, the, as a team, they're just kind of underpriced. And at least to me, they don't really seem to check any of those boxes this week. And I think, um, I don't know, the really the one team we haven't talked about is Seattle. And like, I think they're similar in terms of price point. And uh, I don't know, to me, just Seattle uh, checks more of those boxes uh, that we're describing, you know, they. Um, well, let's talk about I Seattle then. I mean, we, I, I think we put them both at kind of the same level, similar stack prices. I mean, the difference yeah. is, is that in Seattle, for the Seattle game, that's only a 46 total, but it's primarily because they're playing the Jets. So Seattle has a 29.75 implied total. The Jets have a 16.25 
implied total. So they're, they're a 13 and a half point favorite. Uh, is the Seattle stack more in play from, or even due to the fact that like, I don't necessarily trust the Seahawks defense anyway, that maybe this, the, we, we could get a Jets run back that gets there. We have Mims that won't be playing. So that may bump up someone like Perriman, who's cheap, right? Their running backs are cheap. Like the Jets are cheap. So the only the only concern I have with the Seahawks compared to the Chiefs, and this is this is from a macro level, is that the Chiefs are a pass first team. So I feel like like if the Chiefs put up 28 points, four touchdowns, they're most likely four passing touchdowns. And then the Seahawks yeah. playing the Jets, like who who says that Carson doesn't get in the end zone a couple of times? I mean, how many how many passes is Pete Carroll going to dial up if they go up two touchdowns in this game? Yeah, you're right. There are more because we saw this the Kansas City team play the Jets earlier this year, and you're right, it was a massive blowout. But uh, Kansas City still stayed, uh, you know, still kind of kept their foot on the gas. And yeah, I'm not sure that Seattle has this kind of exact uh, mo. Um, they obviously but, have. The I mean, feeling. It, like Seattle could go out and put up 35 points. I mean, we've seen that before. Maybe not recently, right. but I mean, they are playing the Jets. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's it's. You're right. There is blowout risk there. I don't think that's you know reason to x out a stack uh, completely. Um, I, you know, I definitely want to bring back someone on the jet side. Uh, these Seattle pass catchers and pass throwers have positive correlation with the opposition. So we do uh, want, uh, you know, I do feel like it's really kind of important to bring back uh, that, that guy on the jet side. Um, yeah. I mean, there's blowout risk there for sure. Um, I, I, I still think there are routes to the jets kind of keeping it close. Um you know, last week against Oakland, they successfully pushed, you know, the Raiders to kind of maintain pass heavy approach. Um, you know, the the offense on the Jets side looked a little better uh, last week. And I think Seattle's defense is kind of comparably bad to that of the Raiders. Um, so, yeah, while the median kind of game script is one that isn't super favorable towards the Seattle pass catchers and pass throwers, like I do think there are sizable kind of portions of the distribution of outcomes that work well for a Seattle stack. Um, I just think those distributions are, you know, the, the outcomes that fall within that distribution that works for uh, Seattle pass catchers, you know, is going to have to include uh, the jets putting up some sort of uh, fight. So, you know, I think going Perryman Crowder, uh, maybe Ty Johnson, if Gore is out uh, are probably reasonable. Uh, bring backs on, you know, on the jet side. Are there any other games on your radar as far as stackability and top team probability? Yeah. I mean, kind of like last week, the, there's a pretty significant cliff around the 5% probability mark. We have, um, let's see, count that six teams as having a more than 5% chance of scoring the most points. So green Bay, Se green Bay, Seattle, Tennessee, Tampa, Kansas City, Indianapolis, and then, uh, you know, the rest of the team. So, uh, you know, what would that be? There's uh, uh, 26 teams minus six. So, yeah, 20 teams uh, 
you know, with sub 5% and the majority, the vast majority of those teams are kind of below 3%. So kind of like last week, there is this pretty uh, stark like split between teams that are, you know, have a good chance of scoring the most points. And then there's a, a handful of teams that just really don't. Uh, but, you know, teams that that are towards the top, uh, but kind of outside of that elite tier, Atlanta, New Orleans, Carolina. Um, you mentioned know, Carolina. Atlanta, that game has a 49 and a half total. But it mm-hmm. seems like in our ownership that the Chargers are the more owned side. I mean, not like by like significant amount, but I mean, mm-hmm. I would expect like because people look at the Falcons and think they have a bad defense, which I mean, they don't have a great defense. I don't think it's that bad, but the fa- the Falcons are the favored team, but like Matt Ryan's going to get some ownership. Julio Jones is going to get some ownership. Calvin Ridley is going to get some ownership, but like Eckler is going to get ownership. Allen's going to get ownership. Like I think that the problem is with these stacks is that all these guys are expensive. We're talking yeah. about all guys around the seven K range. So if you single stack, let's say you're playing Ryan or Herbert plus one plus a run back on the other side. It almost feels like it almost feels like like the the Bucks are cheaper, the Vikings are cheaper, the Titans are cheaper, the 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 Packers. I mean, I know with Adams it's not cheaper, but it's better. Like I almost feel like I'm paying too much for the game with the ownership. If the owner, if you show me ownership at three percent on these guys, that's a different story. I'm more likely to take the risk at their prices. But mm-hmm. I just I get the feeling that the Falcons Chargers game may go a little over owned. Yeah, um, I, I can't really speak to the ownership. I haven't looked at it closely, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an expensive uh, game with you know somewhat underwhelming uh, totals, at least relative to other games that have similar price tags. I mean, the char- the Chargers are you know significantly kind of lower uh, likelihood than the Falcons and they're really as a team at a pretty similar price point. So, I mean, with that, just information alone, like, you know, give me the team that, you know, it's just has, has a higher total, I guess, if they're going to be the same price. And, and certainly if they're, if the higher total team at the same price is going to be less owned, like that to me seems like the obvious way to be, uh, you know, favored towards, uh, oh, this Carolina, side is uh fairly interesting to me i guess i just don't really know what to do with denver and of what you know is available there's nothing that really seems super compelling but um well i think the compelling part about the panthers this week and we were going to find out who the hell is going to be playing yeah sure right the the thing the thing is that mccaffrey's probably back uh dj i thought it's going to be out uh it's quite possible that Curtis Samuel's out also because of close contact COVID. Like it may be one of these games that it's a lower total, but the Panthers offense may be very, very condensed that, you know, that the Carolina pieces, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, maybe a cheap Brandon Zylstra or something like that. Maybe playing. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the effect that we get in NBA where, you know, like, oh, parts of the teams are out and they're going to run a seven-man rotation. So it's just just by just by the fact that they're going to be out there more often than any other player on the slate, that they're going to project better at their prices. So, yeah. like, I'm, like, the Panthers are not going to be – I mean, they have a 25-point implied total, so they're not, like, low, low. 
Uh, but I would, I, I'm looking more to monitor that. Like I'm not looking at if the Panthers were at full strength, I would, be, I would go meh, right. I would say yeah. oh. back and meh, you know, like right. that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this this take is conditional on McCaffrey being out. I, I thought I saw a report that uh, Matt Rule was like saying that there was some other injury that was kind of on their radar with McCaffrey. Yeah, that he got I'm some injury that. in practice on Wednesday. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, he also he said practice they were going to Mike Davis, and then they came in and he got like 30 touches. So, I mean, yeah. I don't listen to coaches that much. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I guess I just – yeah, no, you're right. But uh, so I'm looking, you know, just uh, at his little note pop up and uh, it looks like he didn't practice today. So sorry. Yeah, this is conditional on McCaffrey being out. If he's in this game, I think loses a lot of luster because, you know, we just lose confidence and kind of where the volume goes. If McCaffrey's out, though, I mean, I do like, you know, something like Bridgewater to Robbie Anderson. And then if a, uh, you know, I, Anderson plus more, if more plays isn't a route I want to go, but if more, uh, I can't see more playing. He got COVID. I mean, he tested yeah. So, like, he – I mean, just based on protocol, I mean, like, he – I don't I don't think he could – it's a matter of is Samuel playing as a close contact because he. I think he tested negative, but he was got obviously it. very close to DJ Moore. I mean, I thought we've had instances where, like, uh, didn't Ben – didn't Big Ben – or was that, like, a contact COVID where yeah, – I think that was a contact COVID. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So, it's – yeah, I'm not that – I you know, not that familiar with kind of what the program right, is. I did, we didn't realize this season we had to be experts in microbiology in order yeah, to, I know, to seriously. get a play. But anyways, yeah, I think it's, long story short, I think it's a game with, uh, or at least a side with a reasonable total. Uh, the pricing on Anderson and Bridgewater to me seem fairly reasonable. Um, I mean, what would you do on the Denver side? I mean, would you go like Fant no, and fan. just say, you just yeah, say, okay. you Fant and you're done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Fill your tight end spot. Right. I mean, that's kind of, it's not that like, I think really Fant is any more correlative than say like Judy or, I mean, I guess Judy, but I guess it's really a, t a position scarcity thing, right? Like Fant to me is one of these guys that could put up a 20 point game at tight end. It seems like he has kind of longer odds than say, uh, you know, Gesicki or something, but um, obviously longer odds than kind of the elite tight ends. But um I don't know. Could could be something. It does seem like kind of a monitor type game uh, with all these injury things going on. Um, and if you're monitoring, if you're monitoring the games, obviously you're going to send out the updates in your Substack. Yeah, right. We're going to do uh, we do a weekly Substack that'll be available tomorrow um, with kind of some notes around some of the stacks. Uh, we also try to put some usage notes in there. You know what uh, players are kind of having uh trend up trend down in terms of their roles um i think one last week that i was really interested in was the uh there was kind of in the short term some increasing usage of the green bay uh, particularly tanyan as a pass catcher and the running back uh passing roles were, were diminishing at a you know at least a multi-week kind of trend uh rate be something to keep an eye on but um yeah if, if you guys are interested in that uh check it out uh we will be tweeting it out from our account, uh, our Twitter account. So maybe that would be a good place to uh, tune into to, to see when that, uh, when that drops. That's AS analytics DFS on Twitter. Yep. Correct. And your start Gibson. If you want to start with Gibson, you start <laughs> with Gibson on Twitter. I'm blender HD on Twitter. And, uh, and uh, if you're, if you're in my contests, uh, I, I, 
I hope you're not on the same stacks as me at the same exact lineups, but uh, <laughs> Stuart, me and you, we could tie. I have no problem with my co-host uh, <laughs> tying in a contest. But uh, if you're not in my contest, then feel free to good luck. Good luck to you out there. So, uh, so for Stuart Gibson, I'm Jordan Cooper, and this has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on RotoGrinders.com.